Comedy LOL Podcast Network. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Brandon Bonanza, number 16. Today I'm going to kick off a new series, and it's going to be a series of actually blog posts with corresponding podcasts. So if you want to go to morelawsmoreproblems.com, that's where my that's where my blog is. And you can follow along as I read, and this post is Freedom? Yeah, right. Part 1, War. And I'm going to get right into this because it actually explains what's going on in this new series, so I don't have to be redundant. Okay, starting from the top of my article. The Encyclopedia Britannica defines cognitive dissonance in a very complicated and wordy way here. And then I provide a link to the definition at Encyclopedia Britannica. Continuing, I define it as a process that occurs in a person's brain when they encounter evidence that goes against or even blows away a major foundation of their thinking. Then, as a defense mechanism, their brain rejects the evidence. They just ignore it, basically taking the blue pill. I will be the first to admit that at points in my life, I have totally engaged in this behavior. From love of a football team to a political party, who isn't guilty? Am I right? Am I right, everybody? Okay, continuing. In this new series of blog posts and podcasts, I plan on playing with this concept by challenging one of the major foundations of many United States citizens' beliefs. This being the notion that we live in a free country. Yes, we as Americans enjoy some quote-unquote freedoms, and definitely more than most people around the world or that have ever existed. So I have to admit that, yes, we do have a pretty good amount of freedom compared to most people around the world or if you compare it to most people who ever existed, right? I mean, look out of history. So I got it too. Um, continuing, so, but are we as free as people in our colonial times? How about before the Civil War? Are we as free as them? Or what about this? As Americans, are we as free as we were in the 90s? I would have to answer not even close. And I'll tell you why. In this new series, I plan to lay out the reasons why I dare say this. I must warn you that you'll probably encounter disturbing facts that you cannot unlearn. And then as a reader and or listener, you can decide for yourself just who exactly is engaging in cognitive dissonance. That's right, me or you. And P.S. I don't plan on getting very deep into quote-unquote conspiracy theory Although it might come off that way or it might sound that way, but I plan on only presenting provable facts because trust me, it's all you need. It's all I need. Da, 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 da. Continuing. Oh yeah, one last little thing. In my opinion, politically, both sides have had a hand in diminishing our freedoms. So I do not plan on taking sides. Ben Franklin said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And I'll add, they damn sure don't deserve to rule us. 
Although there are many topics I can choose to begin this series on, I believe that war is the most appropriate. Not only because I served in the United States Marine Corps, but to me, war is the worst aspect of what I can ever talk about regarding loss of freedom. What is worse than one losing their own life, especially if not lost in direct defense of one's own life, liberty, or happiness, but in defense of a warlord's poppy field in Afghanistan? War, in my opinion, is the biggest issue. Um, and I'm going to stop really quick from reading the article just to explain that, yes, I was in the United States Marine Corps. I never saw combat. I was just uh, I was an airplane mechanic. So, um, and I was in from 1994 to 1998, and I was in the Mediterranean on a carrier. Went to the Persian Gulf a little bit, but mostly in uh, mostly stateside or in the Mediterranean area. And then as far as my stance on war, because we're going to get into this in the next paragraph, but I just want you guys to know that um, all this stuff I'm saying is I understand that the United States government, see, that's really who I have an issue with. They're the ones who make the orders. They're the ones who send their troops. Like, so I was in the Marine Corps and I understand because when I was in, I didn't, I didn't exactly know what was going on. I, mean, I was 18 years old. So it's not like I'm blaming people in the military or hate them. Obviously, if I want them to come home and I'm preaching against war, it's I'm actually really on their side more because I don't want them to get hurt. And what I feel are useless, useless to our safety and freedom conflicts over there. It really seems that it's more about making people money. Anyway, so I just wanted to give you guys my stance on that. So I continue. Most people I speak with are not really in support of the quote-unquote wars that the United States finds itself currently involved in. Not placing the blame on the troops, but on the government themselves, just like I was talking about. Uh, this is the case, oh, since this is the case, I will not make arguing why we should end these wars the focus of this article. Rather, I will focus on just how these wars are affecting the lives of average U.S. citizens and making us less free as a result, which, in my opinion, is reason enough. So even if you aren't, even if you, you know, like I'm assuming most people are against these wars, but even if you're not against these wars, if you think that it's correct, if I can prove to you that we're less free because of it, that fact alone is a reason why we shouldn't be engaged in these wars, in my opinion. Continuing, there are so many ways in which war has made the U.S. less free, from surplus military equipment such as armored personnel carriers and tanks that end up on our streets, to terrorist attacks and the hastily passed laws that follow. The best example that I can point to of the latter would be September 11th. Contrary to the official narrative that we were attacked because terrorists hate our freedom, Osama bin Laden himself listed reasons such as the blockade of Iraq after they expelled Saddam Hussein's forces from Kuwait throughout the, um, throughout the 90s, this blockade was responsible for the mass starvation of up to 500,000 children. And then I leave a link where um, the Secretary of State at the time, Madeleine Albright, was in an interview in 60, sec uh, 60 minutes interview, sorry, 60 seconds, yeah. And the person asked her if it was worth it, all the children dying, and she said, yeah, you actually click it, just watch it for yourself. Pretty disturbing stuff. Uh, I continue, all this, all this info and brief history I'm about to share can be found in the book Fool's Errand by Scott Horton, with the footnotes to point you to the original sources, or you can just Google it. I, I, guys, I can't say enough about Scott Horton, and uh, he has a podcast at antiwar.com. 
Fool's Errand is a book that he wrote. It's really good. It's all about Afghanistan, explains it. There's These sources are other places too, but this is a great centralized source of all this information. Then from there, you could just check the original sources if you want. Or like I said, just Google it. But check it out. Just don't take my word for it. Okay, continue. Let's back up for a bit for some context. Here goes the super condensed version of the story. During the 80s, members of the United States government saw an opportunity to give the Soviet Union its very own Vietnam-style quagmire. Okay, guys, so you have to remember it was the United States versus the Soviet Union, and that's what all these wars, that's what Korea was supposed to be about, the spread of communism, that's what Vietnam was supposed to be about. All these little wars we are having were supposed to be about that. Now, people in the 80s, like I said, in the United States government, saw an, um, they saw an opportunity here to give the Soviet Union its own quagmire. So if you're not really familiar with a lot about the Vietnam War, basically the United States was in a situation much like we find ourselves in Iraq, or I would say more like in Afghanistan actually, where there's no clear results, there's no way, we don't know what we're doing, It's it, that's why it's a quagmire. So we lost a lot of life, we lost a lot of money, we lost a lot of, um, the government lost a lot of trust. It was a really bad time. Massive protests on the streets, riots, people getting killed. You know, there was National Guard sent into colleges and they shot college kids in Ohio. It was a really crazy, crazy time. So people in the United States government saw this opportunity to say, hey, listen, we can do this to the Soviet Union in Afghanistan because they were occupying Afghanistan. So we could, so I'm going to continue basically. Um, the Vietnam War was, a ter was terrible for the United States, a giant waste of money, manpower, and above all, human life. So there were some who had the bright idea at the U um, that the U.S. could fund rebel groups in Afghanistan in order to bleed the occupying Soviet empire dry in a similar way, similarly to what happened to us in Vietnam. I must point out how ironic that we are in a similar war in the very same region, which has cost us untold loss of trillions of dollars and more of that precious human life with no real goals or gains to speak of. So that's from the article. That's exactly what I was just talking about. Um, anyway, this is where bin Laden enters the picture. He becomes helpful to the U.S. cause in Afghanistan against the Soviets. After a bloody conflict that lasted throughout much of the 80s, the Soviet Union began pulling out its troops in May of 1988. And... For a little bit of more of historical context here, not much longer the Soviet Union actually dissolved. So right after this, the Soviet Union dissolves, breaks apart, breaks down. So not too much long after. Um, so And then Osama bin Laden, a little more context on him. He's from a very well-known rich family in Saudi Arabia. He's one of the sons. And he was really against all this. So he allowed the U.S. to help him and back him to fight the Soviets and took their money. But his other plan, and this is all written down, once the Soviets were gone, he was going to turn all of his attention toward the United States because he also wanted the United States out of the region. So, I mean, it's crazy. You know, we think we're using him. He's using us. It's just it's just a mess. It's not making us any more free. Okay, continuing. Now let's move forward to 1990. Saddam Hussein, leader of Iraq, invades Kuwait. Quick sidebar here. Saddam Hussein had recently just got out of a war with neighboring Iran. A very nasty war, including chemical weapons. 
And then, so to pause here really quick in the article, that war, the United States was actually on his side. We were trying to hurt Iran because of what happened in Iran. Um, and if you want to back up a little, a little bit more for context in Iran. So the, the quick story of that is there was this guy that came to power, Mossadegh, in the 50s. I think it was like 53. He wasn't very friendly to the U.S. interests. So the CIA staged a coup, got rid of him. They installed the Shah, who was, think of a Shah, a title like a king. And he was our guy. He was more friendly to the United States. So they installed him. So he ruled into, until the 70s, the late 70s, when... Um, he was taking a lot of the United States money. He was getting a lot of uh, military backing from us. He was basically our boy. So we're hooking him up. But the problem was people in Iran were starving in the streets. And these religious people came along called the Ayatollahs. And they were like, hey, look what's going on. You're starving. They're, they're flying these brand new jets around. Let's, uh, let's revolt. And since that was going on, they listened to the craziest of the crazy religious people. So this guy, Ayatollah Khomeini, you probably heard of him rose to power, they kicked out the Shah. But it was okay, because you can look this all up. The Ayatollah Khomeini had worked before with the CIA and with the United States, so it was all right at first. We were like, fine, that's cool. But what happened was, the Shah was deposed. He was sent out of the country. And under international law, the United States is not supposed to take in a deposed leader. So the Rockefeller group, the senator, I think Rockefeller was was buddy-buddy with them in that whole in that whole oil interest and stuff. So they took him in claiming that he needed to see this doctor in the United States that only this one doctor can cure him. So in Iran, the Ayatollah Khomeini did not care. As soon as we took him in, as soon as we took in the deposed Shah, they stormed our embassy in Iran, took hostages, and held those hostages until after the election of Ronald Reagan. That's a whole nother thing you could look up. It's pretty crazy. Bush made a deal with the Ayatollah. We won't even get into that. George W. Bush. That's something you could Google. Google October surprise 1980. It was a very big surprise for Jimmy Carter. Anyway, so that's a little bit of history on that. So um, right after the Ayatollah released the hostages, you have the whole Iran-Contra thing going on that you're probably familiar with. And then because of this, there's tension between the Ayatollah and Saddam Hussein. And since we were trying to keep them in power and keep them checked, we were hooking up Saddam Hussein with weapons, chemical weapons, anthrax. It's all provable. This is not conspiracy stuff. This is all stuff you can just Google and look it up. It's either come out through Freedom of Information Act or it was just reported on by really good people who used to report and uh, not so much anymore. Anyway. So that was the quick sidebar, a little more than what's in the article. But hey, you're listening to the podcast, so that's what you get. <clears throat> okay, so a very nasty war, including chemical weapons. In this war, Kuwait was allied with Iraq and provided a bunch of loans. So what also you need to know about this is Kuwait and Iraq used to be one country. And then because of colonial stuff with Britain and oil interests and stuff, they were broken apart. And now they're two separate countries. Uh, Kuwait doesn't really have, they just kind of rely on Iraq. They don't really have a lot of military. They weren't like Iraq. They do have a lot of money, however. Okay. So very nasty war. All right. I read that. In this war, Kuwait was allied with Iraq and provided a bunch of loans. After the war, Kuwait began to demand their money and apparently they're real dicks about it. I've only heard a couple stories about this. Um, 
I'm going to continue, even insulting Saddam publicly. To make matters worse, Kuwait was also overproducing from an oil well that it shared with Iraq, violating their agreement and basically stealing oil from Iraq. So that's what was going on. Kuwait was, from what I understand and what I've read and what I've heard, Kuwait was just being, uh, they are being real assholes. They wanted their money back. And Saddam Hussein was like, fuck you. <laughs> and continuing, Saddam met with United States Ambassador April Glaspie in July of 1990 and expressed his concerns and told them of his plan to invade Kuwait. After not receiving any objections to his plans by the U.S., Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And I put a link in there with that meeting and the notes from that meeting so you can read it yourself and you can see exactly what was said and what was not said and why Saddam Hussein thought they wouldn't care if he just went into Kuwait. Um, okay. After the invasion, neighboring Saudi Arabia put out a call for help. So apparently the Saudis flipped out. They thought they kept, they had interests in Kuwait. I think it was really going on. And, but they were just sounding the alarm saying, oh, Saddam's going to come here next. He's going to take us over. Um, Saddam never expressed any interest. Not saying he's a good guy. He's a terrible piece of shit. All right. Just so you guys know, Bin Laden too. Terrible fucking piece of shit. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say, you know, justify what they did. I'm just letting you know that this is how it happened instead of what you might have heard or what the story is because that's what happens and history gets changed and it was not long ago but I was alive and I remember so you guys should know um okay anyway uh so yeah read through that and you could be the judge continuing after the invasion neighboring Saudi Arabia put out a call for help looking for someone to explain wait did I already read this yes okay sorry looking for someone to expel Saddam's Forces from Kuwait. Sorry, guys, this isn't the first time I recorded. I recorded last night and it got erased or something happened. I can't recover it, so I'm doing it again. So that's why I probably thought I read it again. But anyway, that's very... Uh, so just like I said, so, uh, Saudi Arabia puts out a call for help. Um, they call upon the United States to take up the task. This action upsets one notable Saudi, Osama bin Laden, who volunteered his own forces for the task. Bin Laden and Saddam were not friends, guys. Just so you know, they were not friends. Um, so he he volunteers his forces that he just came back from from Afghanistan, what we were just talking about. So he had money, he had weapons, he had the forces. So he wanted to do it. And the Saudis were like, no, we'll have, no, again, we'll have our guy of the United States do it. So um, continuing, Bin Laden was further enraged by the expanded and later indefinite presence of American troops on the quote-unquote holy territory of the Arabian Peninsula. I think holy just means oil. Okay. Especially later on when those forces are supporting a blockade that is starving Iraqi children. Sanctions and embargo against enemy nations are very old tactics in warfare. These days the plan is basically to starve out the public so they eventually rise up and overthrow their leaders. Think Game of Thrones. Being a terrorist, Bin Laden was familiar with this and many other tactics. He decided to imply his own tactics, which led eventually to the attacks on September 11th. And I'm just going to say a quick thing about sanctions or embargo or whatever they say when we're doing this to a nation. When you do this to a nation, this is an act of war. This is just like when you surround their castle and you starve them out. That's exactly what's going on. You want the people inside the country, the castle, whatever it is with this tactic, you want them to get so mad at their leadership that they're just like, get out of here, we're starving. 
we don't care. We want these guys in here. They'll feed us. Um, you know, we need a new leader or whatever it is. So it's not, ah, you know, it's not a really, especially when a country such as the United States, we're so much more powerful than Iraq. Look what happened when we invaded in 2003. It took us like a couple weeks just to, you know, to topple them. Um, occupying is a whole nother story, but I'm just saying, why would we have to have this, this, uh, blockade going throughout the whole nineties? Anyway. And then after that, there's a picture of me around Rocky Neck State Park. And that's also going to be part of this and my blog going forward. I'm just going to start to incorporate my own pictures and links to my Instagram. So check out my Instagram. You should be following everything. That's where I'm more active. I'm a little on Facebook. Not as much. Okay, continuing. I am in no way apologizing for the actions of Osama bin Laden. I believe the best way to combat an enemy is to first understand them. Why are they your enemy? If they are an enemy as a direct result of your actions, isn't it wiser to identify those actions? Then we can at least ask ourselves questions such as, how can we create fewer enemies? Are our actions vitally necessary? Is it worth it? All right, guys, a little bit. Just so you know, I'm not like some terrorist supporter, you know? Uh, although I do want to add here that if forces did come for some reason over to the United States and they toppled a despotic leader that we had for us and then we're like, hey, thanks. And then they stayed and didn't leave and they occupied us. And then they started to, you know, kill people and bomb stuff. And then like your parents or somebody or your kids got killed. What the fuck would you do? I would probably be the first one to be a terrorist. And I'm sure me saying this probably just got me on a list. Anyway. Not against our government, though, guys. I think that's not the way. If you really want to know the way to defeat our own government is you can read my former blog post. And that is just share ideas of liberty and information. If we just all stop doing it, they can't do anything to us. Look at the Soviet Union. Okay, anyway, continuing. So how has all that stuff, uh, so how has all of that stuff that happened way over there made us less free? Just ask William Binney, former NSA employee for over 30 years. He saw it was being implemented. Uh, ask him what he saw that was being implemented. In this video, and I put a link to a video, he describes a mass surveillance program. I'd say that it's considerable loss of freedom. And there's a couple other whistleblowers in there that speak. It's actually Ron Paul event. And it's really interesting, interesting stuff. So I say check it out. How about the U.S. government engaging in a torture program? The drone bombings of a U.S. citizen, Anwar al-Laki, and later his son, without a trial. The list goes on and on. Again, guys, he was probably a fucking terrorist, all right? And, and I get it. He was a piece of shit. But you can't just drone bomb a U.S. citizen... <laughs> without a trial or without evidence, all right? Because, yeah, one day it's this asshole, and then how long before it's somebody you know or you because of something they made illegal or said you did? Open a fucking history book! Okay. The list goes on and on. It can't be stated enough that every person who dies as a result of these interventions has lost the most. So while you might not really care about being spied on by your government... You should certainly care about your government's actions at home and abroad, which could enrage future terrorists, especially when their act when these actions kill their loved ones. Again, guys, it's the it's called the blowback theory. That's the theory, is that terrorists don't just come here and blow us up because they hate our freedom. 
there's interventions going on with the United States government or the or allies or any entity in one country, and those interventions and actions kill people, and those people have relatives, and some of those people that are relatives are get really fucking pissed off and don't give a shit and come over here and strap bombs and blow up people. That's what happens, man. I'm not saying it's fucking right, or I'm not saying what who's right, but I think that if we just ended these wars there would be a lot less of that. A lot less terrorist attacks, blowbacks. Think about this, okay? So if you're a terrorist organization, and you look at what they're saying, like what Bin Laden was saying, he was he was also talking about a, a bunch of other things. You know, go look it up. Like I said, it's better to know your enemy. So if we stop doing those things, how is he, how is he crazy Bin Laden, or any of these other crazy people, how are they going to get the regular citizens, how are they going to convince them to strap bombs to themselves when we're not over there killing them? You know, like, hey, <laughs> so that's the motivation. That's why it's so easy. Similarly, if you have a crazy person ruling a country, you know, and you're you're this you're this country that hates this guy, but you take Iran, for example. This is a great example. Current day Iran. They have they still have Ayatollahs running uh, the stuff over there, they have a, a, a part, I think they have a parliamentary system or a system with, it's like a leader, like an Ayatollah. Then there's also kind of like a president going on. But anyway, they we always get the crazy guys in these spots in Iran. And you know why it's because other countries are messing with Iran, the United States chiefly among them. I mean, we, we attacked and destroyed the, the country right next door, Iraq. So all these citizens see this going on. They see the United States flying over. They see him doing stuff. They see him in, in these interventions. You know, we went to war with Iraq. Now it's the, it was, there were lies. You know, you can Google all that stuff. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably already know that. So all these citizens in Iran, they see what's going on around the world. And they're like, holy shit. And so the crazy people in their society are like, hey, the United States Fuck them. They're the devil. Look at what they're doing. You got to follow me because we got to go fucking death to America and all that shit. And so they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. We should do this. Listen to this guy. He knows what he's talking about. So every time these crazy leaders make these predictions and say, oh, look at the United States and what they're doing. Every time we do it, we just confirm what they said. So we're just making these crazy people look like they're prophets and like they should follow them. So that's another aspect of what's going on. All right. Like I said, they're just people, just like us. If it was going on here, man, you know, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're probably one of the ones like me who'd be the first, you'd be the first terrorists. Okay, guys, that's number Brandon Bonanza episode number 16. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, it's the first in a series, and I'm gonna cover a bunch of other topics. And just to give you guys a peek, a little bit of a preview, of a sneak peek of the other topics I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about um, democracy. I'm going to be talking about the media. I'm going to be talking about whistleblowers. Going to be talking about school. That's right, compulsory schooling. Maybe that's the one that I'll do next. Do you guys know where schooling came from? The, the current model of schools that the United States has in schooling, that was adopted from a Prussian system from the early 1800s. You should Google it. It's pretty interesting. Prussian screw. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. You could support me and help me out. You can go to comedylol.com. And from there, there's all kinds of ways to support us. You can click on the Amazon link and do all your shopping. It doesn't cost you any money. You could go to the Patreon link 
and you can become a patron. You could donate a dollar a month. You could donate a million dollars a month, whatever you want. And you can also go to the PayPal link there and just give us money directly. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Make sure you check out our other podcasts. Uh, we got Pat Oates is Sad. I'm on that one. It's not as political and it's more dick jokes. So if you like that kind of thing, check it out. Pat Oates is Sad. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year. Comedy LOL Podcast Network.